Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants, Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Mary. How are you today? I'm good. I'm sipping on some bone broth freshly delivered to me by my San Francisco bone broth delivery gal. Oh, great. If any of you live in the Bay Area and want professionally chef-prepared, pastured bone broth delivered to your door, then Kim is your woman. And she doesn't have our website up yet, but her company name is Lifestock Broth. And she delivered me six mason jars of grade A gelatinous, very mineral-rich bone broth yesterday. So I put... uh, curry powder, so I get the turmeric benefits, and sea salt in it, and it's really good afternoon snack, and also, of course, you get the healing benefits of the gelatin and the collagen. Wow, that sounds great. I have a bunch, but I just make it in my crock pot. It's so easy because when you have half a cow, you you have lots of bones, so... (laughs) I forgot you, yeah, you have a cow share situation going on there. Make the most of it. Yeah. Well, our agenda today, we're fortunate enough to have Caitlin, as always, and her chef husband, Nabil, and they're going to talk about their brand new cookbook, and we're going to discuss recipes, chef-prepared tips, and also talk about Mediterranean paleo cooking, which is recipes from North Africa and the Middle East, and the book is over 200 pages, right? I think so. And over 125 paleo grain-free recipes. I've read it, and it's a really great book because not only do you get the recipes, but there are tons of tutorials about how to make your own broths and how to make your own sauces and what spices to use and lots of neat little tips on how to use organ meats. And um, and all the recipes obviously are Middle Eastern or Moroccan or North African because that's where your husband is from, right? Yeah. There, um, we tried to put chef's tips and nutritionist tips throughout to help people. You know, it's kind of a, a, a cooking book as, as well as a nutrition book all in one. So, Yeah, it kind of reminded me of nourishing traditions a little bit when I read it because you have the nutrition education but also food prep tips and the recipes, which I think is a great combo for a cookbook to educate but also uh, dispel uh, I'm sorry, not dispel, but also provide uh, nutrition education tips, too. Well, both. I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we talked a lot about healthy fats, and, you know, we want to get people away from the idea that thinking that fat is bad for them, and, you know, it's a crucial part of our brains and our nervous system. So we have lots of dispelling in for the mainstream tips as well. You know, we don't we don't tell you, oh, just eat more fiber and low-fat diet. So, Well, before we get into the nitty-gritty, why don't you read the disclaimer, and then we'll get going. Okay. Um, <laughs> why don't you do it? <laughs> yeah, you do it. <laughs> the only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your concerns with a licensed health care provider. Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance assume no liability for any of your activities in connection with this podcast. And you can find us online and on Facebook. Caitlin is grassfedgirl.com and on Facebook, grassfedgirl. And I'm MaryVanceNC.com and Mary Vance Nutrition on Facebook. So before we get started, what's new on your site and on your blog. Well, I um, I wrote a blog post about how to go paleo in nine steps. So I think sometimes I, as a nutrition consultant, I always thought people knew everything before. Like, <laughs> well, then why would they need your services? <laughs> yeah, like I thought they knew how to do things. And so I kind of went back backwards and explained, you know, how to go paleo because I think a lot of it's mental, but a lot of it is also practical in that, you know, you have to clean out your kitchen and go shopping and 
but you also have to plan ahead. And so I just put all those tips into a nice little blog post and people seem to find it really helpful. So, um, we have also a cinnamon beef recipe that was, uh, we shared from our book and it's really flavorful. And, uh, Vanessa, I have had that. Yeah. Over to our blogger potluck. That's right. It was really good. Good. Um, Vanessa over at Healthy Living How To shared that recipe from our book, and it's a really beautiful picture, and so I linked over to that, so you can check that out. Cool. Uh, on my site, I just wrote an article about olive oil and how to choose the healthiest olive oil, because I, a lot of people are confused ever since a couple years ago when that big news story broke that... Um, 75% of the, the top-selling brands of olive oil are all cut with vegetable oil and soybean oil and cottonseed oil, which is labeled not even fit for human consumption. So I wrote a post about how to choose the healthiest olive oil and what to avoid um, so that you will not get ripped off and also get the most flavorful olive oil. And here, obviously, in Northern California, we're kind of spoiled because we can go olive oil tasting up in wine country and... There are a lot of little boutique stores that offer olive oil tasting, so you can try before you buy. But I wrote about that, and then I wrote a post about um, estrogen dominance and what that means. So if you have bad periods or bad cramping or if you have, you know, breast cancer or endometriosis or fibroids or in your family, then that's typically linked to too much estrogen. And, you know, because we're exposed to so many estrogens in our environment and in our meat, because of the hormones they feed the animals. A lot of women struggle with estrogen dominance issues. So I wrote all about that too. So head on over to my site and you can read all about it. Yeah. So that's a big problem, especially when people are taking birth control pills and, oh, yeah. and messing up their gut flora with antibiotics, right? Yeah, exactly. And not to mention that pollution and drinking out of plastic water bottles, exposes you to xenoestrogens, which are just like your body's own estrogens. So, and cosmetics. Yeah, and all the chemical cosmetics. And then they get into the dirt, right? <laughs> That's right. And then they get into the food again. So and like- then they get into your water supply. And I think in San Francisco, several years ago, they tested the water supply and found um, actually residue or remnants or something from some traces of estrogens and birth control pills and also like Viagra and other stuff in the water. So oh, that creeps me out. I saw that before about the, the pharmaceuticals in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, let's talk about your book because I've read it and the recipes I think are really easy to prepare too. It's nothing. When you think of, recipes from a different country you assume that they're going to require all sorts of fancy techniques but it's really not like that so uh give us a little introduction and background about uh Nabil and his background with cooking and your background because I know obviously you love to cook too so tell me kind of some information about what led you to this point in writing this book well you know when we we got married seven years ago and I couldn't cook anything. <laughs> really? I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, I could, I really just, you know, I could make eggs or, you know, make spaghetti or something like that. But I really didn't know anything about technique or or anything. I mean, uh, I really just basically just used the microwave. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I at that point was eating really low-fat diet, so I was just making, you know, lean cuisines and Boca burgers and, and Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was single too, you know, so I ate, you know, peanut butter and, you know, stuff like that. So cereal, lots of cereal. So, um, the special K diet. Yeah. So, you know, when, when the bill, when we got married and we met and everything, uh, he wanted me to learn how to cook things that his family made and his mother made and I just couldn't and I was so overwhelmed like and even when some of uh some friends tried to teach us teach me I still couldn't quite get it because like they just kind of made it too complicated or you know acted like there was a lot of steps and I was just like I can't handle this too much but he over the years has taught me how to cook and you know he also went to chef school in 
uh, a few years ago, and that really helped to cement his knowledge. And then over the years, he's taught me the simple ways. And I wanted to have, because I was always asking him, how do you make this? How do you make that? And he would get like, just, you know, I already told you. So <laughs> it was good to, to have it all written down in a place where I could refer back. And so that kind of gave us the idea, you know, and I got into paleo more and more, especially going to nutrition school and everything. And then I wanted to make the recipes without all the grains and the bread and the beans and things. So we got the idea to put it all together so that, you know, that I could use it and other people that may be wanting to spice up their paleo diet. Is Nabil on the line? Can we pester him with questions? <laughs> Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me in your podcast. <laughs> Hi, Nabil. I'm glad you could join us because... We got a lot of questions from people wanting to know about how to cook paleo and, and pick the brain of a chef so that we can talk about not only your wonderful cookbook, but also some of the technique behind it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So I moved to the United States around 10 years ago. And the first, the first couple of years I worked to, for a different, different restaurant here in the city, even in, in, the, in the North Bay. Uh -huh. then I, I knew I needed to go to school to get a little better because, you know, people, they don't eat a lot of stuff I used to eat back home. Oh, yeah. So I went to the San Francisco City College for two years, and I did my internship at the bakery here in the city. Which is funny that <laughs> definitely I don't use flour right now. Yeah. And I worked after I've like several restaurants. I worked for Delfina. Then the oh, last awesome. two the last two jobs was uh Marriott Hotel in Union Square. And now yeah. I'm now I work for uh, the Omni Hotel downtown. Cool. So, I love Delfina. Oh it's a pretty nice restaurant. If you have a lot of money though. Yeah, it is expensive. They have a like a chicken liver mousse or pate or something there that is, that converted me to chicken liver pate. It's really good. It's pretty nice. I mean, is if you know how to take the flavor from the pate itself, like take it to the next step. Oh yeah. So people when they eat it, when they try it, they will never think is a chicken liver or. Anything exactly, yeah. And that's the key to introducing people to organ meats sometimes because they're they've got so many nutrition benefits that people are always squeamish about trying it. So I have I have pretty funny story about this one introducing things to other people. About, <laughs> about four years ago, my sister, you know, visit us here from Algeria. Then we went down to uh, Fisherman's Wharf, and by the way, my sister doesn't like fish at all she cannot even smell it at home when no no well fisherman's wharf might not have been a good fun choice for her <laughs> yeah but the thing is i didn't tell her anything <laughs> so we went down there and i ordered the 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 clam chowder and okay she put clam chowder she asked me what it is and i said oh that's a potato soup <laughs> She ate it. She finished it. She said, whoa, this is the best potato soup ever. <laughs> and I said, okay, to just let you know, don't hit me. Don't do anything to me. It's a fish soup. It's a clam. She said, oh, that's different. It's a different way of cooking it back home. So I like it this way. So, I mean, I mean if, you, if you twist things like organ meat, especially to people... And don't tell them in the beginning. <laughs> I have done that many times, and it's very successful. If you tell, if you make essentially paleo treats for people, and don't tell them what it is, and they just appreciate it for what it is, without thinking it's a substitution for something else. That's that always uh, is surprisingly effective. It is, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, people they don't they don't like uh, liver, or they don't like anything like that. You can you can mix it with other stuff, like making a meatloaf. But it's a mixture between ground beef and the liver. Yeah. So it, it won't taste as livery or gamey. That's what I do too. Yeah. So just mix, mix it up and 
like something else, like it's a, a brain quiche. <laughs> good and brain is good for the brain, right? Oh yeah, it's pretty nice. I mean, it's it's it has pretty good flavor if your brain is accepting it. But the thing the thing is the thing is like uh, if you don't tell people ahead, most likely they will they will like it. Instead of telling them, oh, you're going to eat brain, definitely they're going to turn their brain off and go away and order something else. Agreed. And so speaking of organ meats, tell everybody how you both, you and Caitlin, both decided to start going paleo and making that a part of your lives. Well, I uh, was, like I said, eating kind of a standard American diet slash low-fat, you know, healthy quote-unquote diet to try to be skinny and everything and I just started feeling worse and worse and worse and I started seeking help for some issues I was having with my digestion and my energy and I found out that I had Hashimoto's so you know that motivated me pretty quickly to embrace a different kind of lifestyle and I was lucky at the time to have some some people in my life that turned me on to paleo and you know I felt a lot better right away especially my blood sugar problems as I had a lot of problems with you know being hungry all the time and kind of frantic having a you know granola bar in my purse 24 hours a day like <laughs> afraid that I was going to get hungry and have like a meltdown <laughs> so, oh, no. so um I so as soon as I started going paleo, it was amazing because I could eat three meals a day. I was kind of calm and relaxed, and I didn't get hungry all the time. So, um, And I started to see improvements in my health over, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but after a little while, I started feeling better and better. And, you know, the biggest thing was just being away from that diet mentality was really important. And over the time, you know, I got... Hashimoto's, one of the big things is gluten aggravates your thyroid antibodies. So I was really wanting to get that out of my life. And, you know, my husband was still eating them, eating bread and, and couscous and stuff like that. And, you know, over, I just kept on saying, you know, I don't want that around me and all this stuff. And so eventually I got him to stop eating it and, he started to embrace my way. Of <laughs> That's so nice when both people are on board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took him about a year and a half, but he started to slowly come over to my to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Nabil, what kind of benefits did you notice when you went paleo? Uh, I mean, I never, I never thought I would become a, a paleo person. Because, I mean, at work, we have a lot of food, a lot of, I mean, stuff to try. And you taste food from, you know, for every day. So what what Caitlin did, she she was, you know, she asked me to do it at least for 30 days. And... Ah, yes, that's how it starts. Just 30 days. Yeah, literally, after one week, I felt like... I cannot be tired anymore. <laughs> That's so nice. I, huh? I had so much energy and I was as sharp as my knife at work. <laughs> I love it. And it was really nice. And I was like thinking like, what's going on? I mean, things are getting a little better. And one day the executive chef told me, like, what, what are you doing something different? You're faster now. <laughs> So your performance at work improved. Yeah. I mean, somehow I never noticed it. Then I told them, I have no idea. It's just my wife put me into this diet. (laughs) And since then, like, I can feel, I mean, in the beginning, sometime, you know, when you're busy at work and this is, that's the only thing you can eat or you taste the food before serving it to people. Mm-hmm. I eat, you know, not, not gluten, not paleo. I eat gluten and stuff sometimes when I started. And I feel like tired after the night. I go to sleep earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I noticed that, you know, when I stay paleo and eat only the good stuff, I have more energy than when I eat the other stuff. And I 
basically from I got I got to a hundred two hundred and thirty pounds. When I started after a month and a half, I lost eighteen pounds. <laughs> Gosh, guys lose weight so quickly. I'm so envious. <laughs> That's and, pretty amazing. That's probably a lot of inflammation that you were losing too. Yeah, and you know, because we're chefs, we stand up all the time. And when I was 230, my knee hurt a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. But it doesn't. I mean, I feel so good. My joints are just fine. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the, the classic paleo success story. All right. So basically now I'm paleo, and I'm happy to tell people that I am paleo, which is, it's weird from a chef to say I'm on diet. <laughs> well, what we like to say is that the paleo diet is more of a lifestyle, right? Yep, that's what Caitlin says. <laughs> so then, now you're both paleo, and tell us about the inspiration to write Paleo Mediterranean Cooking, your cookbook. Oh, actually, I didn't have any choice. <laughs> because Caitlin made you do it? <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not about Caitlin made me do it, it's she always forget about the recipes or how I twisted things for her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you want to eat like a, a chipino, but she cannot have, you know, she cannot have uh, the, what's the name? The bread Bean? with it. Yeah. The, the bread with it or a uh, horse, horseshire sauce. Worcestershire. <laughs> yeah. It has gluten in it. So basically she does want this. I don't want that. And it make it for her, and then that, after a week, she asked me again. <laughs> and it's pretty, not annoying, but it's pretty tough to keep, like, repeating yourself, like, every other week. <laughs> so, and she is a big fan of Facebook. And every, <laughs> every time we have dinner, I have to wait for, like, ten minutes for her to take the picture. <laughs> when she take when she takes a picture and she put it on Facebook, all her friends and stuff ask her for the recipe. <laughs> there you go again. So she comes back to me and I Bill, can I have the recipe, please? People are asking me, can I have the recipe? And I said, okay, let's make them. Let's build the whole thing for you and for your friends. At least when I come home from work, I don't have to work again. <laughs> And so, Caitlin, is that true then? You were compiling recipes from Facebook and kind of getting Nabil's Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, Algerian influence going? Yeah, I mean, I had put some of them on my blog over the time. And then, um, you know, we, we went on a trip to, to North Africa in April, and that just made it even more real and... You know, I just thought this this way of eating in the Mediterranean, you know, the idea of the Mediterranean diet is not really what they eat. And so I wanted to bring together the concepts of paleo that, with the traditional style that I saw people eating of, like, the traditional fats and the, you know, fish straight from the ocean and all that stuff. So, you know, going on that trip really made it, Bring brought it all home and made me want to share all these great recipes with, you know, my people on Facebook and my blog followers. So tell us, you know, you were talking a little bit about the Mediterranean diet and tell us kind of about some of the food there that is beneficial. Because we hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet for heart health, but is that kind of different than the true Mediterranean diet? Well, there's some things that, so the original Mediterranean diet was studied by our old buddy Ansel Keys from. Oh, right, the lipid hypothesis. Yes. So, for those who don't know, he was the one who came up with the seven country study, and he said that people who didn't eat a lot of saturated fat in these certain seven countries had a lower incidence of heart disease, but what he failed to mention was that he threw out about 15 of the other countries he studied. So really his data was very skewed and it's hard to take it seriously, but nevertheless, his recommendations have been adopted full scale by the government ever since the 1950s when this information came out. So 
we have a, you know, a hard hill to climb with this, you know, messed up information. But, you know, what, what I always thought, what always struck me when you read any information about the Mediterranean diet is, you know, they say it's high in fish and that's great. And they say it's high in whole grains and, you know, that's possible. But the thing that always struck me was it's not low fat. And I think, I mean, sometimes you see that they skew, especially the modern idea of it is to be low fat, you know, traditional people in the Mediterranean region, you know, they didn't, have a lot of money, they didn't have a lot of resources, like, they wouldn't have never thrown their fat away, you know, that's our densest source of energy, so, you know, I know that maybe they didn't eat a lot of meat, but that was probably just out of scarcity, but if they did, they would have used the whole animal, and they would have especially kept the fat from the animal, and used it as uh, cooking fat, as well as use the milk from the animal, and they wouldn't have skimmed it off and thrown it away. And, um, you know, the the truth, the, the good parts of the Mediterranean diet is that it's fresh whole foods, local, lots of fish, wild fish from the ocean, and, you know, it's not processed. Like we have, you know, changed over in America, just so much processed food. And, you know, what I noticed when we were in we went to Algeria, which is just a neighbor of Morocco, and they have uh, the same kinds of food and everything because people are more familiar with Morocco as a culinary destination. <laughs> but, um, you know, every day it's the open-air markets, the fishermen straight from the ocean, the, the olive oils pouring everywhere, and, you know, people, they actually, you see people grilling sardines out on the street and, they actually use a big hunk of animal fat to to season the grill. So, you know, this idea that you would use no fat is was ridiculous. Well, I think, you know, when you said it's not a low-fat diet, that's true. But they just don't, in my impression is they're not using the crappy man-made fats and vegetable oils that we use over here. Right, it didn't exist. Actually, yeah. actually, we never had soybean oil or any other oil beside uh, animal fat and olive oil. Yeah, yeah. And those are the, the good animal fats. So you have the good yeah. monounsaturated and saturated, but not the, the highly refined vegetable oils. And that's what we now know causes inflammation and the majority of uh, cardiovascular issues, right? So, I mean, what, what happened to me, like, the fat... The fat, the fat from the animal is the best thing to cook with, and it's scientifically approved. It's not about, I mean, like, they don't show it on TV and they won't tell it on commercials because it's, that's what they make. But back home, this is what you use because it's no smokiness in it. You can cook with it in higher temperature and don't be scared of getting cancer or mess up the the flavor of the food. Yeah. And we never cooked with olive oil. Olive oil is just a finishing item. It's like for on the salad, even if you want to put it in a soup or something, you just add it at the end. Yeah, exactly, because olive oil can actually be damaged under high heat. You need the animal fats and the saturated fats for yeah. the, the cooking. You, you know how to cook, Mary, yeah? <laughs> I do. And olive oil actually has a low smoke point. But, yes. but Nabil, tell us about the kind of food you grew up with. Oh, I mean, we have we have the, the sheep festivals, like twice a year. We go and we slaughter the sheep. Then what we do is we save literally everything. We don't throw nothing away. Including the, the, the sheep skin. And the brains. The whole thing. Brains and the heart and all of it. The tongue. We eat everything. What happened, what we do is we slaughter it. We eat the organ meats, half, half of them the first day. We keep the, the whole carcass for the day after. It's much better to slice it the day after because the meat, it shrinks back together it, and it doesn't shred when you slice it 
So we eat the, the organs and we keep using everything, whatever has the bone, we make soup or stocks out of it. And we, we, try, we try always to make broth. All the time, I mean, when we, when we slice it the day after, we cut it into pieces so we can refrigerate it or freeze it for, you know, any event coming up. With the bone, we make the, the stocks. And every day after, we just use the same stock over and over again and until it's gone. Nice. So, and you, you have recipes, including using uh, sheep's brains and, and other quirky animal organ meats in the book, right? Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really great to educate people on how to use those parts because we're really now coming back around to this nose-to-tail cooking philosophy where we don't throw... Because, you know, here in America, we throw the best parts of the animal away, and I think that's really sad. I think some restaurants are coming along, and they 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 really trying to make... Everything worthwhile when they buy the whole animals. Like Cosentino, I think, is doing that. Yeah, it's a lot of restaurants down, especially in Soma. They, they, yeah. They even, right now, I heard that they, most restaurants, they sell a big head. A big head. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so the cheeks, the cheeks actually are pretty soft. And I think I think it's the best tacos you can make with a big cheese. A big cheese. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, one of the things that I noticed when I when we were in Algeria was that every restaurant has grilled liver, and they just put it on skewers and they sell it out on the street too. So everybody eats liver, and it's just so interesting and a contrast between what. We have here that everyone is terrified of eating liver, and but there it's just a normal food, and nobody has this aversion to it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you grow up on it and and you're accustomed to it, then it doesn't hold the same bad stigma as it does here. Yeah. But we talked about how your book includes organ meat, so tell us how your cookbook is different from other paleo books and cookbooks out there. Well, the, I mean... I think because, you know, my husband is from another country, it's really authentic. And, you know, he is a classically trained chef uh, where he went to school, has a, a great history of teaching chefs, you know, all the classical ways to cook. And, you know, another thing people might not realize about Algeria is that it was a, a, a colony of France for 130 years from 19... From 19 1860 to 19... Yeah. <laughs> what are the dates? 1830 to but the thing, the thing is, all the food around this region is almost the same. It's only one spice or two different. And to scare people, they tell you, go ahead and make uh, something like um, a mousse. Like people go and try to, to be like a fancy French restaurant by, by making a mousse into a dish. A mousse is not something... Old-fashioned people in France or in Italy, they use. It's something oh. new. So it's, like, it's kind of a newer invention then. Yeah, so th this like new invention, but the old school ones is all the same. Italian, Greek, North African, Moroccan, Egyptian is all the same. So it's kind of a mixture of, of all the same foods. And so um, we, we highlighted different countries that... You know, we used a lot of parsley and cilantro and um, cinnamon. cinnamon and cumin. And, you know, we have also recipes for pizza that's really popular in paleo to have uh, a pizza crust that's easy to make. And it's ours is even crispy, but it's dairy-free if people want to 
um, not use cheese, that's fine. And the crust works without cheese, so that's good. And we also have a falafel recipe, and uh, we also, you know, just, just we, we use a whole region because it's really a melting pot. You know, the Arab people came over to, so the North Africa was originally people from, that they there's accounts that the people are actually from Europe or Scandinavia and then the Arab people came over and and conquered and whatever and they all mixed together and so there's just a big mixture of the spices and the different flavors and then you know the there's the French influence and you know the food in Greece is not that much different from the food in in the northern uh, Africa so we also made a, a recipe of moussaka, which was really cool. It's kind of like a lasagna. I love moussaka. Yeah, I I uh, I made that up, and you know a lot of the ones I saw on on other websites were really complicated, and I made this one really really easy for people. You know, uh, we also tried to make everything easy because people, you know, because they come home home from work and they're tired and stuff, and so we wanted to make things that people could throw together quickly. Unless you're Nabil coming home from work and then you have a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of how how you Mediterraneanized the paleo diet, but how did you substitute, you know, cl- cl- classic grains or couscous or some other kinds of whole grain products that you would find over there? How did you adapt your recipes to be Mediterranean paleo? Well, we um, we used a cauliflower couscous, <laughs> so that was really easy. We made a, the the tabbouleh, and we also made a um, the cauliflower couscous. I mean, you can really use it as a base for any of the tagine recipes. So we have about I don't know fifteen tagines, which is just a slow cooked vegetables with meat. And it makes it really tender, and all the flavors marry really well. And yeah. then you can put it over the cauliflower couscous, uh, and you know it's not not quite as absorbent as rice or couscous, but it works pretty well, and it has a similar texture, and it definitely looks similar. So it'll fool your brain. <laughs> I think couscous, I mean uh, cauliflower, works so well for stuff like that for rice or. You can even use it, it's so versatile, you can use it in, like you said, in tabbouleh or falafel or rice or couscous or even in pizza crust, and it I it really does, it. A, I think, soak up sauces pretty good, too. I made it for my co-workers, I made the cauliflower uh, risotto. Oh, nice. Oh, they, were, they were just jumping around, not believing that cauliflower can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, it really can surprise people. And we're so. here here at home. We made with uh, with some kind of soy sauce. Caitlin has has no gluten in it. We made uh, fried rice with it, cauliflower fried rice. I've made that too. Yum. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's the the best the best. I mean, the closest thing to couscous or to a starch you paleo people can eat. And we yeah. also used um, some tapioca flour and arrowroot flour is really good for thickening sauces and things when, you know, you don't want to use white flour, of course. <laughs> so, you, you know, you were talking about people getting home from work and not having time to cook. What kind of advice do you guys have and how did you adapt your cookbook for people who are new to cooking or new to paleo and they don't like to cook? What kind of advice or adaptations you have in the book for them? Uh, the thing is just don't be scared and try the simple recipes. If you never cooked before, don't try to make something pretty hard. And at the same time, just make the broth. If if you have a, a crock pot at home, you can just, you know, put the whole thing in the, in the crock pot. It's not going to burn. And the house is not gonna be on fire. <laughs> so you go, you go to work. As soon as you come back, you already have the whole nutrients, and you have the basic of any food you want to cook. 
then what, what you need to do is just drop a couple of things, maybe a piece of chicken or a piece of meat or, you know, a piece of onion and celery. You put the broth on it. It's already a soup. <laughs> That's good advice. And then so using the crock pot is a, a good starter tool as well. Yeah. And on your, I mean, what I used to do when I was single and I work a lot, I like to cook my meals at home. So what I do, I just prepare everything on my day off. I just prep the whole thing, leave it in the fridge. When I come home, during the time I'm taking a shower, 15 minutes, you're already out and the cook is, the, the food is already on the table. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the perfect busy weeknight dinner, right? Is you do the food prep on a Sunday and then you have leftovers all week. Yeah, and I mean, like a piece of chicken. Piece of chicken or maybe like we say, like piece of New York steak. It's going to take like seven minutes on on the oven, on the stove. So as soon as you go home from working out or from work or something, you just drop it. It takes three minutes on each side and already boiling some water or you have, you know, steamed, steamed broccoli or steamed any kind of vegetable like asparagus or green beans and you already have the food ready. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I think that people have forgotten is that broth is really where flavor comes from. And, you know, I think we have this removal from where our food comes from and people are afraid to deal with bones. And, you know, but we've forgotten that that's the basis of traditional cooking. And so if you get back to that and using bones and using broth, you're really you're 50% there. You're 50% done. I mean, that's where flavor comes from and the, the nutrients and the minerals. And, uh, so people just need to get back into that. And we have the broth, we have a fish broth and a, a chicken broth and a beef broth in our book. So it's really easy. And then I also included a, the crock pot version for people who want to just leave it on while they're sleeping. You don't need you don't need any skills like a chopping skills or knife skills or something like that. You just have the whole thing, chop them into big chunks and throw them inside the pot. So you don't have to be certified even... chef to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of, we got a lot of Facebook reader questions. So, let's jump into some of those because people want to know uh tips from a chef. So, here's the first one. From Kristen. She says, how do you deal with failed experiments? I always try to be creative, but when something goes wrong and food is thrown out, it's very discouraging. So how do you guys deal with uh, failed food recipes? Okay, to just make them feel good, the failure is always there. It does not matter how professional you are. It is always a failure of any recipe, even though you made it before. <laughs> that but, can happen, yeah. Yeah, but being a creative like Kristen is, just before you start, put the mise en place, which is the whole ingredients in front of you. Look at the ingredients and make sure you don't start cooking until you read the whole directions. <laughs> that's, that's excellent advice. So what do you do? Because... I mean, knowing what you're doing, it's not halfway, it's three-quarter of the way you're already in. You know what you're going to do with the ingredients. So basically, you go, you read the recipe, you put the, the entire ingredients on front of you, you step back, and you read the directions. When you read the directions, then you absorb the whole information. It's easier, and it's less likely to make a mistake. On the other hand, even if its mistake is done, you always can do something with the mistake itself. For example, Caitlin was trying to make a, a chocolate cake. It didn't work. And so, so she gives it to me instead. <laughs> <laughs> so what she did, she backed up. She looked what she has on, as ingredients. said, oh, it didn't get fluffy, but I can change it to a brownie. <laughs> Perfect. So the chocolate cake became brownie. 
I mean, it, you don't have to throw away the ingredients or throw away the final resort. It's just the creativity you have, just play with the same ingredients you have in your hand. Yeah, sometimes you can, you know, if you had meat in it, you could just de deconstruct it, take it apart, and, throw, uh, you know, you could throw away some of it, but keep the meat and, you know, maybe make it into tacos or put it into an omelet or something the next day. So, I mean, there's always ways to salvage parts of it. And, you know, the thing is, it's always a learning experience. So, you know, uh, when I used to eat Boca burgers every meal, you know, I didn't know anything, but seven years of practice, I'm a lot better cook now. <laughs> so, and yeah, and you're right. And unless the food is burned or beyond recognition, there's no need to throw it out. You can always adapt it into other, into a different type of uh, direction, right? Yeah. Yeah, even even at work, this example this happened about maybe a week ago. One 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 of the chefs messed up the risotto recipe. He overcooked it. So we couldn't serve it. But we cannot throw away a big bunch of risotto. So what we did we make we mix it with crab and we made the risotto crab cakes. Mmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, I mean, it's always, always something to do, like you said, if you don't burn it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next question. I like <clears throat> that advice. This is from Sharon. She says, if I leave the fat in the beef broth, the smell nauseates me after a few hours, so I usually chill it and skim off the fat and then put it back out to simmer. Adding some herbs and spices help, but it's still overwhelming and it does not make me want to eat it. What should I do? Oh, that is a very good question. <laughs> uh, the, the, the smell is not going away. But you can, you, you can use the same broth and you can add a little bit more. Like uh, if you have a beef broth as the tomatoes. If you add a little bit more tomatoes than any other recipe you have. It tastes tomatoey more than beefy. Huh. So because tomato is pretty strong, it's acid. So it, it kills a little bit of the beefy flavor. And she's doing she's doing perfect by you know, cool it down, skim of the fat, and goes back again. I mean if she cooks the beef broth for a long, long time, it becomes a demi-glass, which is much richer sauce for anything else instead of just having it by itself. Does that mean a kind of a reduction? It is a reduction. Hmm. A demi-glass, it means in French, is half of the glass. Like you have the whole like gallon of broth, you go lower, and it becomes thicker. When it becomes thicker, the tomatoes and the other spices takes over the... The fat flavor, the gaminess of the beef and and the stuff. But the, the nutrition stays there. You get a French lesson too here. <laughs> I, I, I always put, uh, like I said earlier, if I am getting kind of grossed out by the broth, I put curry powder in it. And the, then you get the curry and the kind of beef flavor together. And it smells really good too, I think. Well, you know, the other thing is, you know, if you don't like the beef broth, like, try chicken. I mean, try another animal. Like, you don't have to just do beef. And the other idea I had was, you know, I don't know if she's putting vinegar. Put a little bit of vinegar at the beginning, like apple cider. That might help some of the smell. And, you know, people don't, you don't have to just drink the broth. Like, the whole idea of broth is a base for something else. So, once you add other vegetables and uh, other spices and then other meat to it you know broth is just a base and then you add a bunch of stuff to it so you know once you add all that you're not going to taste that same taste or smell anymore okay moving on to the next question angela she says can i just boil and use the nutrients out of the organ meats i can handle them since they are healthy but my family is in need of some major disguises and secrecy recipes on my part Oh, like we talked before. I mean, you can you you can mix it up and uh, like uh, we said for the the liver, you can mix it up with ground beef. You can ground it, mix it up with ground beef. They're not gonna taste that. It's like you can you cannot taste the 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 the, the, the liver itself. I mean, for 
for anything like tongue or brain, especially the brain, you can make it with eggs. The eggs, the eggs, the egg yolk flavor somehow kills totally the brain, the brain texture. If you mix it like you make it as a frittata in the morning or a quiche, it will, it will work just fine. What color are the brains before you cook them? Oh, it's white. Not white. White is like grayish. <laughs> that must look unappetizing. So when you cook it with the eggs, does it turn egg color? It, because it's, it is white. It looks like, uh, scrambled brains. <laughs> and actually it does, you, you don't, you don't think it's meaty. It's, it tastes like, uh, it's not exactly the same. It's like tofu. Oh, okay. Well, but the other thing that I was thinking about is you really don't need much liver or organ meats per week, you know, to get your vitamin A and vitamin D and zinc and all that. So you only need a, a maybe three or four ounces, and then you could put it with a pound of ground beef in a chili or a stew or a spaghetti sauce or a meatloaf. And we have a good liver meatloaf in our uh, book, but you just mix it together. And then, you know, once you put in garlic and, you know, green peppers and all that, you're not going to taste it anymore. And, you know, it's not, you don't need this huge amount. Uh, And, you know, there's always the old trick of just freezing it and, and, and swallowing it too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I know you add tips in your book for uh, how to prepare organ meats, but where do people get brains or kidneys? Where can we get those? Oh, no <laughs> Well, actually, actually, the funny part is that in, in Algeria, in, in North Africa, you can buy that in any shop. <laughs> um, but here, since we shun organ meats, you probably need to call ahead um, there's some great stores here in the city like Fatted Calf and Marin Sun Farms and 4505 Meats that you can c- call ahead and get these kinds of things. And a lot of these go fast, so you have to get there early or call and make a reservation uh, because people here, like there are so many chefs here and they fight over them, honestly. So, <laughs> um, and if you do have a cow share, if you organize with your farmer, uh, then you can ask them to save these organ meats for you. So, oh, that's a good idea. So at the farmer's market or just contacting the farm, maybe. Yeah, you just need to make arrangements. Usually if you show up, they actually are sold out. So you want to make sure and make your claim. There's also a really good uh, thing here called the um, Backyard CSA. And they deliver to the city and several different points in, in San Francisco if you just make uh, an online reservation for what you want, and then they bring it on Saturday. So that's a great resource, and, and that's all farm-to-table, really awesome animals and stuff. So uh, you just you kind of have to seek it out. And if you're in a rural area, you, you can probably find a Weston A. Price chapter with resources that will help you figure out. There's also... A, a website called eatwild.com where you can find farmers put in your zip code and you can find a farmer and call them up and go out there and you know it really it really perpetuates this whole notion of of sustainability so you know it's a really good idea to make sure you have the healthiest animal you can especially if you're going to eat the the innards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's when you do not want to buy conventional. And you can tell, too, because especially with livers, they're more brightly colored, and those are the healthier ones. And you, I mean, I know, I notice if you grill the organ meat on a charcoal, it loses uh, the, 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 the gaminess. It will, and it will adapt to the charcoal flavor. Grilling outside... It's much better than cooking it inside the home, inside the pan. And the other thing that is helpful is marinating. So most of our recipes are marinated in spices for a few hours or overnight. 
and then that will take away a lot of the flavor that people don't like. But, you know, I, I love flavor. I don't care. My dad used to take me through the drive-thru when I was little, and we would get fried livers. At the drive-thru? Yeah. And, Where on earth do you get fried livers in a drive-thru? At, um, like, Mrs. Winner's. Because <laughs> I grew up in, you know, Caitlin and I both grew up in Nashville, and I remember chitlins, but I don't remember any any fried livers well, in the drive-thru. You just weren't hanging out in the right places, Mary. Oh, I, I used to love this winners. Don't get me wrong. Those biscuits, remember how you couldn't, like, breathe after you ate one? Oh, my God. Those biscuits were as big as your head, and they were delicious. <laughs> but you get, like, so much grease in your throat, you, like, couldn't breathe. Oh, I know. <laughs> but we digress. Um, so tell us, you know, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Uh, tell us some tips on how to paleo your Thanksgiving. Oh. Paleo Thanksgiving, it's, it's already paleo. It's about a turkey itself. And, I mean, the turkey, you just have to spice it the way you want. There's so many ways of spicing up the turkey. You can, you can maybe, like, put it in, I mean, like, marinated the day or two days before and the key the key i think in my opinion is lemon if you use a lot of lemon on the turkey it's it's like acid so the meat itself it's more moist than not putting anything like putting that dry rub on it so that makes the so you're saying that the lemon breaks down the kind of fibers and makes it more moister yes and it takes less time to cook than if you don't use any acid on it. So would you put a bunch of lemon juice just all over it? And just squeeze, it sit, just squeeze, squeeze the lemon juice, I mean lemon, the fresh lemon, squeeze it on the top of it. And the lemon itself, stuff it inside. So it gets the, the, the flavor, the lemony flavor with... Whatever, I mean, spices and herbs you put inside of it. That's a good idea, huh? So, yeah. and then what about, you know, like mashed potatoes with cream? Do you just use sweet potatoes? Or what about the side dishes? Oh, and Kaplan, the stuffing. The big, the big one has, is stuffing. Kaplan has really good uh, green beans casserole. And it's totally paleo. I mean, it's really, really nice. And the stuffing is just... It's just take away the bread itself and anything you want to make, you just, you just switch it with anything else you want. I mean, any kind of vegetables and mix arrowroot or something and it, it works just fine. With the, with the paleo stuffing, you can use, um, like celery and carrots and, um, leeks and, uh, also the fennel. I have a recipe on my site. I use also butternut squash, and you can even put, like, ground beef or whatever ground meat you want and make it – that will substitute – the ground meat substitutes for the stuffing, and you just bake it with some broth, and it turns out great. I have a recipe for that on my site. And the best thing is the gravy. So you would just tell us how to make the gravy in a paleo way. Oh, the, the gravy in a paleo way, it's, it's exactly the same thing. The, the first question about the beef broth, and she says she'll smell it. And the, just cook it as long as you can. And at the end, you just make the roux, which is a mixture between cornstarch. Um, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I said cornstarch. Just, I use this at work. <laughs> <laughs> but using the, the arrowroot, with a little bit of water, but don't, I mean, there's no measurement. I cannot tell you the measurement exactly, but what you do, you just, you add it a little bit and you stir at the same time and you can, you can get it as thick as you want. So you would reduce the, like the, 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 the gravy, the, I mean, the drippings from the turkey, you would reduce those. Yeah, you add, you add like a, a flour on top of it, like a root and stuff, and you scrap the whole thing. Then, you whisk it? Yeah, you scrap it so you take the whole goods, goodies in the bottom of oh, the pan. scrape it. Yeah. I got to translate here. Okay, sorry. So you're scraping <laughs> it from, because you want those bits, the like the cooked bits, because those yeah, have all the flavor. Those are the, 
the flavor itself. You can use white wine or red wine to deglaze the whole pan. Oh, good idea, yeah. That infuses some flavor. Yeah, and it's like somehow as soon as you put the wine in it, those bits pulls out (laughs) of the pan and becomes the sauce. Or you could use broth if you're averse to wine, right? Yes. Or you could use a bit of vinegar lemon. You can use vinegar, something acidy, so it's first rate, the bits and pops out. <laughs> um, what will you guys make for your paleo Thanksgiving? Well, we got a, we got a, a pasture duck that we might make. Oh, that's an awesome idea. I love that. Yeah, so we made it last year, I think. And when you do duck, do you roast the whole thing together, or don't you have to roast the breast and the rest of it uh, at different times because it all cooks differently? No, what, what we do is just cook the whole thing at once. Uh, you cook it for uh, 20 minutes and 350 degrees, then you pull it out. Then you, you take the breast away, then you put it back in the... In the oven for another 20 minutes in 200 degrees. So basically what you do is cook it halfway. You slice it. You you take the breast out. Then you cook it for another 20 minutes. Ah, okay. The breast done? After the first 20 minutes, the breasts are done? Yeah. Oh. Okay. And, you know, make sure when you have a duck, you want to... It comes a lot of fat pours out of it. So you want to make sure and save that and use it for cooking. It's a very healthy fat to cook with, especially if you have a really good duck. (laughs) So before we have to wrap up, um, one more quick question here. How do you develop the recipes? Do you just kind of make them up or do you follow other guidelines and adapt them? And how do you know kind of what to add and how can people get better about being intuitive about cooking like that? Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think, ahead of the recipe. I mean, I just go inside the the kitchen, open the fridge and whatever I have, I make something out of it because I think it's my job. But for other people, it's it's just think ahead before you go and shop. Before going to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or any place you go and buy the stuff from it, think about it. What are you gonna make out of whatever you're buying? Because if you go inside and buy things and you go home, then, oh, okay, I want to make chicken stock, but I didn't buy celery. <laughs> so it's, it's much better to go when you try to shop or try to do things like that. Go and have a recipe in mind or written down what it needs so you don't have to think twice when you're home. Um, the other thing that you can think about is... Uh, you know, especially when you are trying to make paleo recipes, you kind of want to get inspiration from traditional recipes. So you might look at something and say, okay, well, what can I substitute for the flour or the bread or the rice or whatever? So, um, you know, I can just look at a recipe from another like Paula Dean or somebody, and I can just see, okay, you know, I'm just going to leave that, leave that. It's just really about practice. And, you know, for this book, we got a lot of inspiration from things that his mother had made for him and that we just took away the beans or the, the couscous, and it was really easy. And we got a bunch of cookbooks when we were over in North Africa, and we... Uh, just would just get inspiration from looking at the pictures and things, and then we would go in and, and just change it a little bit. I mean, once you learn especially how to make a gravy or how to make a cream sauce, you can really make those things with without dairy. You know, coconut milk, it's not really a ingredient from that region, but uh, you can make all kinds of cream sauces out of coconut milk and... Um, also, egg yolks are really easy to make sauces out of. So it's really easy. You just have to, you know, take a leap of faith sometimes and, you know, just open up your mind a little bit. Yeah, that's typically what I, I would oftentimes use a recipe as a base and then, like you said, just kind of experiment. And and Kaylin and I both try to make and adapt egg-free recipes because we uh, are trying to 
uh, offer options for those who are on an autoimmune plan, for example. And so, you know, tinkering around and making adjustments to make recipes egg-free, it takes some tries, but eventually you get it. So I guess that wraps it up for today. Um, Tell everybody how they can get your book. Well, they can just go to grassfedgirl.com slash cookbook, or they can go to mediterraneanpaleocooking.com and find our recipes. It's over 130 recipes, all made grain-free, and we have dairy-free options, and we have 18 desserts. We have eight liver and, you know, organ meat recipes. We have all kinds of savory soups that are really warm and full of, you know, great for the winter time and, you know, all kinds of seafood and just really colorful. I think people will find that it's just so different from other books they might have. And we use a lot of different ingredients that maybe they're still easy to find. And we have a full guide on where to find them at. And, and I just think it will really spice people's weeknights up and they'll just get a, They'll feel like they went on a vacation without leaving home. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, so everybody gets excited about our upcoming guests. We have a show that we're going to do on how to stay healthy with holiday travel because we get tons of questions this time of year for people wanting to know how to stay gluten-free or paleo when they're navigating the airport because that can be challenging. Then we're welcoming back Dr. Kalish again to talk about depression, anxiety, and brain chemistry. So we'll get into the serotonin and dopamine fun stuff. And then we have grain-free baking tips with Carol Lovett of Ditch the Wheat. And that'll be great for your holiday baked goods. So leave us a review in iTunes, and please share this with your friends and family. And a special thanks to Nabil for enduring our questions today. No problem. Thank you for having me, Mary. It was, yeah, it was great to hear your cooking tips and and I guess we'll sign off until next time. Okay, thanks Mary. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.